Yes, wait, 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 if you want to call your mom at work, do you dial 911? <laughs> <laughs> wait, how does it work? <laughs> Welcome to Deep Thoughts, Science and Social Justice. I'm your host, Pardeep, and this is an interview podcast where we take a deep dive into the struggles, triumphs, and personal stories of minorities in the sciences, arts, and public service. And the goal of these interviews is to have candid, first-person conversations about the role of race, gender, and socioeconomic status in politics, the sciences, and beyond. And as you listen to these undocumented experiences, I hope I demonstrate the value of diversity and recognize the inequities that exist in the daily lives of minorities in this country. And on this episode, we'll be talking to Jordan Chapman. Jordan's from South Philadelphia and and serves as the founding president of BSci. BSci seeks to foster scientific interest, research, skepticism, objectivity, knowledge, and innovation in Black and historically unpopulated uh, underrepresented communities. Their mission is to become a premier scientific organization for aspiring or established Black and underrepresented scientists in an effort to push the boundaries for all people and scientific discovery. Jordan is currently a UGA PhD student in anthropology with a focus on geosciences. His research uses geological methods to examine the impact of slavery in Georgia's coast. on Georgia's coast. So welcome, Jordan. Thanks for being on Deep Thoughts. Thanks for having me on Deep Thoughts. <laughs> Super excited. Yeah, me too. So, you know, honestly, this is the first time like I had like another podcaster on my podcast. No word. Yes. And so like it, it it's kind of nice because, you know, you kind of understand the etiquette, you know, you already know what to do. You already got the professional mic. You, this is like a normal thing for you. And how, you on the other end as a guest instead of a host, I know you have your own podcast. How does mm-hmm. it feel to be a, to be a guest as opposed to a host on someone else's uh, on someone else's podcast? Does it change your like? Yeah, it's definitely mood? changing my perspective. I'm a little. It's a little weird. I'm not gonna lie to you, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm digging it. Mm. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about um about B side. You know, cool. I want to I want to introduce B side to the large community from from your own voice learn about some projects some core projects you're doing and and talking about the sort of inspiration of these projects but um you know uh, but before we get into that can you talk a little bit about like you and where you're from and um and a little bit about can you give us like a two a two minute spiel about you and your research and 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 where you're from and and maybe like about your your upbringing like you're from south philly but now you live in georgia right what type of communities did you live in what type of schools did you go to who did you live with and you know how did this sort of inspire your 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 current outlook i know it's a big question but let's see uh you know uh, it's a big question but you can keep, you can take as much time as you need all right cool yeah um so yeah like you said i grew up in south philly uh spent most of my life in philly until college but yeah growing up um my mom was a police dispatcher and she's a single parent um she had me when she was 20 so she started she went mm. to college for a little while but then she had me and she kind of had to drop out and then maybe like uh, seven years after me then my little sister came along so yeah we, we were single family house single parent household and you know we went i went to uh you know I would go to a decent school every once in a while, I'll say that. So I started off in public school and then 
uh, I want to say in like third grade, I went to a charter school and I don't necessarily know the legislation behind charter schools myself, to be honest, but charter schools work a little, a little bit differently than public schools where they can ha- kind of do their own thing. They're not necessarily um, tied down to the same systems as public schools. And I don't know much more besides that, but um, so I, and so I, that was about third grade and I spent um, most, oh, maybe fourth grade, but I spent most of my time in public school or private school charter schools i did go to a catholic school in third grade and i would say that was probably honestly catholic school is probably the first time i kind of started to see skepticism grow within myself because i did not do well in religion um and i think it was because i was a little bit skeptical like they were like oh yeah like jesus did this and i was like "Mm, but okay <laughs> I'm like, okay, but like, tell me why that happened. So I did not, and I remember like, understandable you know, skepticism. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I remember getting into a big argument with like my aunt and grandma um, one time because they were like, oh, we're going to church today. And I was like, I don't really want to go to church today. I don't really like church. Hmm. And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, everything that ever happens is in the Bible. And I'm like, but but it's not though. Like, what about this and what about that? And they're getting, and they were like getting super upset with me. Like, you're, but you're asking too many questions, blah, blah, blah. And then they were like, we're going to call your mom. Because my mom was at work at the time um, of the argument, I guess. Wait, and wait, then, wait, wait. If you want to call your mom at work, do you dial 911? <laughs> <laughs> wait, how does it work? <laughs> I would be actually, you know, I would be scared to call 911 if I know my mom's at work. Because I would be like that. If she picked one, because like my mom is kind of a worry word. So if I, if, if I did call. And then like, I think people would recognize my voice in the room like they would be like oh wait is that jordan and then they would like oh again jordan's on the phone something's happening and i know she'd be kind of scared so i'd be kind of i would probably just call her cell phone directly and be like hey like and i, I think i did do that i was an uber driver for a little while and i there's and that was one time i was driving and like i had a passenger in the back seat and this is like i said south and this wasn't this was philly like and it's kind of a sketchy neighborhood. And like this dude ran out of like the woods, basically. And like he had blood on his face. And I'm like, where did he come from? And the dude in the backseat was like, oh, what's happening right now? And then he just ran off. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be real yeah. professional right now. I dropped off the dude. And I was like, hey, mom, you got to send a cop down this way. <laughs> I just saw some uh, up in the woods. Look, some dude. Better stay, yeah. Better patrol cars. Super sketchy. <laughs> but yeah, I'll be scared to do stuff like But yeah, like um, during that argument, they were like, yeah, we're going to call your mom. And like, she's like, well, if he doesn't want to go to church, like, he doesn't have to. And I think um, talking to my mom about it one time, like why, you know, like my mom's um, baptized. And I remember asking her why didn't she get me and my sister baptized. And she's like, oh, I just wanted you guys to make your own decision. And thinking back about it, I'm glad she did that because if – I don't know what path I would have went down if I would have been baptized and forced to go to church like every Sunday. But I'm glad that she allowed us to make our own decisions. And I think that had a big impact on me and my sister because I'm an anthropologist and geologist, and my sister is also an anthropologist. So I think that mindset kind of did – allow me and my sister to kind of explore the world without that overhanging idea that we all had to be super religious so mm. I, I really appreciate my mom for doing it actually but yeah we didn't grow up super you know wealthy um my mom was a police dispatcher and she made okay money but yeah single parent household so that was another stress and we went to okay schools but um i do have disappointment with some of the school system um mm. particularly in one school i went to where it was super focused on sports 
And at the time, like I didn't really get into science until college. And at the time, like it was a good school because I was like, oh, I'm gonna be, I'm going to the NBA. And that was never gonna happen. <laughs> so like at the but at the time, you know, young kid thinking it was definitely gonna happen. But then it was supposed to be a science school too. And think about think about that. Like I'm kind of disappointed in it because uh, if a school's supposed to be a science school or at least kind of, you know, trying to follow and inspire that um their their students to go into science they should be giving them the best opportunities. And I remember in, I think it was 10th grade, we were supposed to learn, learn physics and they made the decision that physics was too hard for us. Aye. Yeah, so that was super disappointing looking back about it now. And even thinking about some of the math classes we took, we took algebra one and two, but we never took pre-calc um, and, or stuff like, and stuff like that. So I had to go to a community college um, to learn pre-calc. And the weird thing about that was that they had a community, they had um, a working relationship with that community college to where we could go take college algebra at that community college. And it's the community college of Philadelphia, which um, all for people on the community college, I'll say that because community college of Philadelphia definitely saved my life, mm-hmm. but like, or at least inspired me, it further allowed me to become a scientist. Um, but that happened later. And at the time I was like, and thinking about it now, I'm like, well, if, I took those pre-calc classes and even calculus at that community college. How come you guys didn't allow us to go to that community college to take pre-calc? It would have been way easier for us if you guys weren't going to teach us if you already had this connection. So that was my disappointment in that. So I just thinking about stuff like that kind of did inspire me to do more stuff. But yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it sounds like, um, you know, your mom as a police dispatcher, mm-hmm. I mean, these police dispatchers, they hear a lot of stuff, man, uh, oh, on, yeah, on for sure. calls a, a, every night. And it, it's probably a very, it's, it's a very, it's a very stressful job. And, mm-hmm. you know, kudos to your mom to be able to come home and after dealing with that stress, got to come home and deal with the home, with the, with the regular stress, you know? Oh yeah. I was guy. a stressful kid. I, I'm yeah. sure I stressed my mom out of like <laughs> me and my sister. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of like men- mental fortitude, you know, mm-hmm. I, to 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 especially as a single mother like uh, d- definitely like my you know my mom was a single mom too and she she would work two jobs like she would uh right. there there she she was a assistant in- insurance agent during the day and then a shelf stalker at shop right at night and she was raising mm-hmm. these kids and you know I, I you know i i grew up in like a matriarchal household you know where a woman right. was was leading the house and, and and i'm used to seeing women in leadership positions you know be, because of this so you know, I, I it never uh, ceases to amaze me how how you know the, how how what a mother would do for her children uh, to be to be happy. So you know, kudos to your mom to, for, for for making it through all that, man. Yeah, you too, uh, man. Shout out to moms, right? Yeah, to tell me about it. <laughs> uh, so you know, so now it, it, this upbringing, I'm sure you know, had a lot of had a lot to do with, or or that I could be wrong, but. You'll let me know. Had a lot to do with with the for maybe the formation of B side. This plus your experiences as a scientist, uh, be, being in grad school and pursuing your PhD, you probably realize that now that you're there, maybe there weren't a lot of people that look like you, or uh, there weren't a lot of professors maybe that you can relate to, or um, right. or maybe the the research itself is not something that uh, the the tendency of the research itself tends to be eurocentric maybe yeah where, for sure the, yeah where where the 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 research is is focused on certain continents or certain sectors of the world or certain histories that maybe you don't feel like you can relate to so 
Um, did any of this uh, help inspire B-Side? You, you, like, where were you when you, where you when you decided that you wanted to 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 start something like B-Side? And 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 what were some of your thoughts uh, in those sort of um, formative years of B-Side? Right. So B-Side officially started last February. Um, we were kind of in the building stage a little bit before that in 2018, but um, on paper we started in 2019. Uh, and yeah, so after, well, I'll go back a little bit. So like you said, um, that upbringing did kind of inspire me in ways I didn't realize as a kid, but now I look back on it now. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, because yeah, uh, I didn't see a lot of scientists growing up. My, like I said, my mom wasn't a science she's a police dispatcher. I didn't know any scientists. The school I went to didn't really inspire, even though it was supposed to inspire people to become scientists. It really didn't do that effectively. I don't feel like. And I didn't get into science until I got to college. I started off in anthropology because I thought it was cool. And then after taking like a one semester of like geology, intro to geology, I was like, oh, I, I want to be both. And then, yeah, so I did that. 2016 comes around. I graduate from Penn State and I didn't feel strong enough. Like I said, I didn't take pre-calc. I didn't take calculus. Um, and I didn't do that in college either or at Penn State because uh I was running out of money at Penn State. I had pretty much spent the first two years of college kind of undecided. And then when I decided to become an anthropologist, I was pretty much a junior. So I pretty much needed to do like another three years to four years. And I started running out of funding basically from like the Pell Grant and like federal federal aid basically. So fast foot and all that stuff. So I was like, well, I'll just go back home um, because I knew I wanted to go to grad school eventually. So I was like, I'm going to go back home and take these classes to make sure that I know I can be a strong candidate going into grad school. Mm. And I went back to that community college, um, community college of Philadelphia. And I was like, all right, well, I'm, while I'm here, I want to take pre-calc. I want to take both calculus one and two, and then physics one and two. So, and at that time I was also, I was doing a lot. I was also doing Uber to make money so I could keep going to that community college. And then I was also an intern at the Franklin Institute of Philadelphia and at the Academy of Natural Science, which is right across the street. Hmm. And that's um, Franklin Institute's the Science Museum and Academy of Natural Science is also a science museum, but it's more focused on geology and natural sciences. But I didn't really get to do much. I was just doing plant like botany. And I'm not a botanist, but it was a, it was weird. But anyway, but yeah, like during that time, I'm like, I would go to those places and see people who were interested in scientists or who were interested in science. Hmm. But like you said, they weren't, they didn't look like me and they never did. They didn't look like me at Penn State. They didn't even at a community college in Philadelphia. They, they just, they didn't look like me. Wow. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm back here at home and I have a degree. I have two degrees and I'm still feeling isolated from the rest of the scientific community and people who look like me and who are like-minded. So the whole time I'm like, well, there's got to be something, right? So I started doing research and I saw a few at the time so again this is 2018 i'm like okay maybe this one but they like there was like the black science network but they didn't look super active and i didn't see many other than that and i was like well then where are the rest of them because i was part of um the national association for black geosciences and i didn't know it at the time but there was a society of black archaeologists and they just became a 501c3 like last year i think or even this year but at the time i didn't know about that and I only knew about the one and I knew about like NSBE like so National Society of Black Engineers but it was like no one organization for general science for black 
scientists, mm. basically. Mm. So I was like, well, that seems like a huge gap, right? I mean, there's um, AAAS, right? There's all these other science organizations, like even Science Magazine, even though it's not necessarily a non-profit. I don't know if mm. Science Magazine is a non-profit, but I know that that's one that people, you know, can kind of look to. There's nature. There's all these big science institutes that people can go to mm. and be part of a community, but there wasn't for Black scientists. So I'm like, well, I think I have a unique perspective being in the social scientist and being in the social scientist and being a physical scientist. I felt like I had a unique perspective that could potentially bridge the gap and even fill that gap. So I was like, well, I'm going to go ask some people about it. And so I asked one of my friends, Kalia Chandler, and she became our engineering officer. And then I asked Teller Spencer, who was our secretary before our current secretary, um, Janae. And um, then a little bit after that, I asked Khalil. And then I eventually asked Jenna Carpenter, who is our the co-host to be scientists. But that took a while to get to. And it started with not seeing those scientists in other places and trying to build those connections with the people who I knew who were kind of those exemplary people in my life, I guess. And I said, I'm going to go ask those people and we'll try to build this together. And eventually, like I said, last year, 2019, we finally did it. We got our nonprofit status in Pennsylvania. And then just a few months ago, we got our 501c3 status and now we're 501c3. So um, that's kind of the short, it wasn't as short as you asked for, but there it is. No, I mean, it's all good. I mean, it's a big journey to be able to get that 501c3 status. Mm -hmm. So like how, so how big is B-Side now? How many members do you have? Where'd you you start and and where are you now? And, 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 and what's, and, and how many do you want in the near future? Ooh, that's a good question. So right now, where we started five deep. So we had, that was our founding board. Um, Then over the last few months, we've expanded. Um, We started expanding pretty much in response to the George Floyd um, protest. Um, We were like, well, we, because in those first, that first year to two year period, we were like, we just got to build. If we're going to do this, we want to get that credibility of having a 501c3. So we were kind of just waiting around to see if we would get it. But then the George Floyd thing happened after we had already submitted our 501c3 application. It was like, okay, well, we can't, even if we don't get it, we're still going to be trying to do this work and we could always apply again. So we need to try to expand as much as possible. So one of the first things we did, well, we put out a call for a science communication officer. But even before that happened, um, Janae, who is the president of the Black Science Coalition, Institute at the University of South Carolina had reached out to us and said, hey, we saw that you guys had already kind of did something like this and we were wondering if we could kind of join up with you guys. And we're like, oh yeah, sure. We didn't even ask and you guys are already here. So that's perfect. Nice. So I don't know how many members are at University of South Carolina, but um, they have one there and that was our first ever B-side chapter. And then a little bit after that, uh, we reached out through social media for a science communication officer and Chad Singleton, who hosts the Square Roundtable podcast. Um, he was like, hey, like, do you guys sound really cool? Um, I definitely like to be a part of this. And you're like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. You already got your own science communication thing going on. You must have some knowledge. And he joined up with us. And then over the last month or so, we got someone else because we were like, well, we if we want to get into the social justice part of science, then we need someone who's going to be kind of more dedicated to that, but who can also help with the science communication stuff. 
So that's when we got Chanel Tawson, who is our new science policy officer. So then in that, we expanded from five to seven because we also lost our secretary, Taylor Spencer, because she got her life got a little busy saying there were no hard feelings. But she was like, I, my life is super busy right now. So I'm just going to have to to resign. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I understand. So yeah. so we lost one, but we gained like three more. So it was pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, early on, like uh, really successful organizations, you know, they don't really need like that many people in leadership. You know, they need yeah. like, a, like a tight group, three, maybe five people who mm-hmm. are sort of like dedicated to like, you need like the minimum amount of people to to be successful. And usually that's like um, three or five or, or something like that. You don't want too many hands in the pot in, right. in terms of le- leadership role, because then it's like nobody's really has one job you know so mm-hmm. you know it's interesting that you mentioned that uh, when you were when you're trying to found uh, uh found b-side that there was no one organization for for like a jet for general black and science but there was like black and science and in, in specific subfields but not in general so right when you when you are a sort of a, a general organization for black and science that sort of ex- uh, probably uh expands your your sort of space that you can work in, right? Where you can be focused maybe on education, uh, also on social justice, also on, um, uh, on, on I don't know, grad admissions, other, right. other disparities across the board are now open for you to, to explore and understand more. So, you know, which one of those, like, uh, the, which one of those are like a priority for, for, for BSI, I guess, like maybe what's, what's the hottest, newest project or, or which one of these, um, general issues are are most interesting to you and are a priority for BSI. So when we applied for our 501c3 to make sure that we could get it, we had to be very specific about how, like the IRS wants a specific phrase from the organization to get that status. And ours was science, education, and general activities. So in science specifically, um, it was, well, do we have we wanted to make sure we could do science communication and we also wanted to make sure that we could do that social justice aspect of it too. So we also mm-hmm. did an application. I forget exactly what the code is, but it was for us to be able to essentially lobby as long as we used our, um, as long as it was able to be, seen in our financial records basically so if we did any type mm-hmm. of like political like ad wow. then we could like um basically account for it so mm-hmm. we also did that at the same time that we applied for our 501c3 so that allows us to kind of do stuff like that we haven't taken a full advantage of it yet but we hope to um in the near future so that's so that's something we wanted to hone in on um and then of course science communication because science is dope as fuck right so it's yep. like well we we need to get into that so yeah, but like, uh, yeah, we do have, so I would say those are our two main focuses is science communication and um, bringing light to some of those social injustices that happen um, in Black and underrepresented communities. And of course, some of that's going to be science, right? Um, there is obviously a lack of scientists across um, Black and underrepresented scientists across the board. Yeah. But when you see something like um, police brutality, it's hard to not think like, well, even though this isn't necessarily in the realm of science, there is evidence-based policies that could help us, um, that could allow us to address this issue. So I think that's kind of the thing we're kind of really looking to do is to go, okay, well, even if it's not necessarily in the realm of science, what's the evidence behind it to support the argument that we should do something about it? So that's kind of what 
our focus will be in the next few years, I guess. And, you know, it, it can kind of loop back around because you know, police brutality, this is a, in my, if, from what I understand, you know, this, this is a, a, a sort of product of what is already a broken system. You know, it's a product of, you know, poor, uh, poor police training. It's a product mm-hmm. of, of, of a lack of, you know, cultural understanding, a lack of cooperation between community members and, you know, uh, uh, over-policing in communities of color and, and other uh, uh, maybe impoverished communities as well. And all of this is, is all of this can be tied to, you know, a- access to education, good housing, right. uh, a- a- access to um, uh, 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 or pe- pe- people of color to, to root out those sort of uh, biases, c- conscious or otherwise. So I think they're, they're all, uh, you know, interrelated. And as far as SICOM, I mean, you know, science communication, science we know is like, a, you know, it's very, scientists use a very arcane language to communicate their mm-hmm. their papers. It's it, oftentimes the only people who understand papers in their entirety are the ones who wrote it and like maybe a few others in some competing labs. But, you know, the problem right. is that um, the problem is when lay audience, audiences don't understand the science either. And you have to sort of uh, create pathways for, for our science to 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 be understood be digestible for lay audiences and general audience so people can have this trust in science people can understand uh you know or, or approach with skepticism when somebody says that there's a miracle cure for covid-19 <laughs> <laughs> we we can approach this with skepticism right. knowing that you know uh, sci- scientists don't do that kind of work uh don't just produce there's no such thing as a miracle cure and 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 having a sort of healthy uh uh skepticism of of what of um of uh, uh, uh over generalizations of what science is so yeah. you know all, all the all of the all these issues really matter and on the topic of social justice or rather on the topic of i guess um uh, the health sciences in the black community maybe we could talk a little bit about you know the vaccination Right. Or, yeah, that's a big one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, as you know, the um, the the FDA recently uh, approved an emergency use authorization mm-hmm. of of a COVID nineteen vaccine from from Pfizer, and uh, I'm not sure exactly how the vaccine works. Apparently, it's like an RNA based vaccine hmm. um, instead of like a, a an antigen based vaccine. Um, Interesting, but I'm not sure like of, of the exact biology. But yeah, anyways. I'm not biology. I, I understand the term RNA and antigen, but I don't necessarily under, yeah, <laughs> understand I, it. They're working, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't want to like speculate uh, mm-hmm. and, and put put out any false information. But I know it's an RNA based right. uh, virus, and so you know, tr- trust in science and vaccination. I mean, um, I, I've been doing a lot of reading about this, and I can I can only really speak from a, from a perspective of statistics, right? So, yeah. like, you know, Black Americans they they do face a higher uh, risk of COVID nineteen, uh, mm-hmm. and are more hesitant uh, to trust the medical scientists and and get vaccinated. And we know that Black Americans have been hit hard by this virus, by this coronavirus uh, outbreak, accounting for a disproportionate share of, of COVID nineteen deaths. And this, and this has been like a, somewhat personal for me. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. You know, right. Brooklyn has the highest concentration of Black Americans in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And and it's it, it's devastating when this virus came through to my community. It's it's Black Americans and other communities of color. If you look at the John Hopkins chart, um, COVID nineteen yeah. tracker, Kings County is number one. Uh, deaths in the United States, and it's been that way since the start. So you know, no matter where the hotspot is in America, Brooklyn still has the most deaths in America. Period. And mm-hmm. so th- this has been personal for me because you know these are my friends, these are my family. 
this is this is my this is my community. Uh, and you know, I responded to this, I responded to this by helping to start a, a testing lab, but I digress. So, oh, you know, congrats, man! That's that's, that's really noble. Yeah, it was crazy. It's it was really nuts. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah, imagine yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now, but now they're doing testing, and it's right in the heart of Brooklyn. And I feel like I, you know, I was able to to give back. But you know, at the same time, you know, while 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 this community has been hit disproportionately by COVID nineteen, uh, they stand out from other. Uh, uh, racial and ethnic groups in their attitudes towards key healthcare questions associated with the outbreak. Like in particular, you know, uh, black adults are more hesitant to trust mm-hmm. medical scientists or embrace the use of medical treatments or sign up for potential vaccines to, to combat illness, uh, according to a study by the Pew Research Center. And nationally, uh, black Americans account for 13% of the U.S. population, but 24% of coronavirus deaths Yep. Um, uh, according to the COVID tracking project, and these disparities disparities are particularly high in Georgia. I think Georgia has the is like uh, number four uh, in terms of the the the, the COVID nineteen death disparities, and you know these these include higher rates. Um, and so uh, while um, while uh, the the these this literature often um associates these higher risks of COVID-19 deaths to, you know, pre-existing conditions like higher risk of, you know, cardiovascular disease or, or, or longstanding inequalities, healthcare access, uh, all these other sort of classic uh, reasons. But while some of these may be true, it may not be the whole story. I mean, the right. FDA did a focus group once of, you know, black Americans, uh, uh, a focus group asking them, um, would black Americans take the vaccine? And the FDA was quoted saying, the FDA quoted some of these participants saying, quote, I believe this is another Tuskegee experiment, unquote, or, quote, right. we're not guinea pigs, unquote, according to the Washington Post. And two presidents of two HBCUs publicly announced that they were volunteering to to try this to as test subject for the COVID vaccine to build trust, but they faced some backlash from the parents at the university. So, um, and, and, and lastly, uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation uh, conducted a survey of, of African-Americans saying they're, they're two times as likely to trust a messenger from their own racial group as opposed mm-hmm. to their white counterparts. So it goes on and on and on, like, uh, and, all, and all these things matter. So I'm just, so I want to understand, you know, y- your view. Uh, what, how do we build trust in science for our Black friends and colleagues and, our, and, and family as well to, to help them get vaccinated or to let them know that the vaccine will work? Or that science is true, that that is real, and we've been working hard on this. So, what would you say is are are some of the disparities you're noticing between, you know, what you understand as a scientist versus what you're seeing in your community? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's very something that I as soon as as when we started to hear the news about COVID and um, that it was it's, it's going it was going to be a big event. That I just remember one of the things that um, I did for B-Side was I was like, I'm just going to make a graphic and put it on our social media account to say, this isn't fake. This is real. And I knew that we would, we would, I knew we weren't going to get backlash per se, but I knew people were going to um, be questioning it. And I was, I was ready um, because that is something that, that was one of the original ideas I kind of was thinking about for B-Side was a black skeptic society. And a, a black skeptic society, essentially, right? It was, or at least that was kind of what I was kind of thinking in my head. But it was basically like, I, I, this has been a problem 
that I I take very personally as a black scientist because I do understand the fears that other African Americans have about these these vaccines and just science um, because in, especially in um, the field of medicine because like you said you hit on a Tuskegee experiment and there are other examples right there are the I don't know if I'm going to pronounce the name right but it's the the Hila genes, which are from yeah. Henrietta Lacks. Um, I think that oh, was the Hila cells. Yeah. Hila cells. cells yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So that happened at John Hopkins and people have that that's, and it was very concerning the way that was done. It wasn't done ethically. Uh, there are other um, examples like there's the Mississippi epidectomies, but that's, mm-hmm. in, but there's also say um, that had those type of treatments where, you know, they were just sterilizing, um, Americans were in different underrepresented communities there. I think I don't remember the exact um, name for this experiment that I'm going to mention, but I know there was a radiation experiment done on a black person. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I don't know. And I don't have the source for that. I wish I did. But I know that's one that's out there. Too. So people have there is a history. Right. And then even going back further than that, you think about, say, some of the earliest uh, discoveries in science. So like Charles Darwin. Um, on um, going across the trans- the Atlantic Ocean, I mean, he had slaves who were helping him yeah. discover these things, and he's not giving them credit. So it's like one, so that so that's uh, I'm putting a lot of different things in that, but so there's the aspect of well, we have helped with um, specific things in science and not gotten credit for it, but then there's also well, we've been on the bad end of science. There's like you said, the Tuskegee experience where you, like an underrepresented community was specifically targeted for an experiment that was completely unethical. So it's like, why would we trust those authority figures? And I don't think people talk enough about the work that has been done to remedy that. And mm-hmm. in some ways you can't remedy it, right? That mm-hmm. those are things that happen, but there have been efforts to. So after the Tuskegee experiment, there was um, the Scientific Research Act that Congress passed to make sure that something like that would never happen again. So that, and that basically laid the groundwork for things like internal review boards, so IRBs at universities and other scientific institutes. Um, and that is a widely used practice across the world now. Uh, the the Hella cells, uh, they, I think the family of Henrietta Lacks mm-hmm. are on the board that helps determine who can and who can't use the cells. And I think they even give back to the community. Uh, each year, I forget in which way, but I know that I think that's something that happens too. So there have been ways that scientists have tried to go back and say we definitely did something wrong. There were some unethical individuals, but we're trying to make things better, and we don't necessarily talk about that enough. And I think it's one because, like humans in general, are biased, right? So we don't want to hear that if we already know if we hear something's bad. That's our first instinct. Here's that that's the bad thing, right? Those if we hear that those people have already done something bad, then we're already going to be super skeptical about the th- good things that that might come out of it so if it's like well you did this before it's hard to go back and turn around and say oh well you're doing good things now because there, and, there, and that's not also and that's not a bad viewpoint either because you got to keep being skeptical who's to say that another bad thing will happen in the future like we just recently heard right that um apparently at some of those holding cells for immigrants that it sounded like people might have been doing some unethical things so that's a um another thing that's going on so it's like well that isn't too far in a step away from hearing about sterilization mm-hmm. and underrepresented communities mm-hmm. uh, so it's like we have to keep being skeptical but we have to understand that science has taken big steps forward from i would even say it's infancy and in that yeah p- 
people did bad things, but we have to recognize that scientists move forward. But and then also you think about how the Tuskegee experiment, I think, ended in early 70s. Since the 70s, we've had the civil rights movement and a lot of black scientists and other other underrepresented scientists have entered into the scientific community. And I won't put it on them to say that they they are, um, say, uh, I'm trying to think of the word for it, um, watchdogs for the entire scientific community. Mm-hmm. But I think those individuals who are underrepresented or are part of the under, underrepresented groups and scientists do keep an eye out for those things. So, okay, well, we need to make sure this is ethical because we're not just going to go and affect an entire community without telling them what's going on. And then other scientists who have picked up on some of the conversations that happen in social sciences are, well, we need to make sure that we can disseminate this information to those other scientists who might not be up to task on all of these things. So we can tell them and inform them on how these things work. And then you get things like, um, just the idea of intersectionality and things like that. So you get into these things and it's allowed people to understand, well, we, this is how we communicate with these populations. But I think that distrust, it, it's warranted and it's, but it, and it's always going to be there. And so we have to figure out, but we have to figure out ways to make sure that we can get that information, the good science out and make sure we nip that bad misinformation science in the butt. Yeah. So, you know, I think like, you know, you 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 mentioned a lot of things. You know, from the history of of of, of racist science and you know the 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 HeLa cells and the Tuskegee syphilis trials. I mean, a lot of these uh, injustices, uh, you know, over the past two two hundred plus years, uh, while they've happened a long time ago, many of them are more recent are coming to light more recently. Right. Uh, it wasn't until nineteen seventy that the John Hopkins released the name of Henrietta 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 Lacks and finally give her credit for her tremendous scientific contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, or even as late as this year, um, uh, 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 Columbia University Medical Center they had a uh, residence hall named after, named after Bard. Bard was one of the founders of the med school, and he and he was a, a slave owner as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and it wasn't until now in all of Columbia's history that they finally realized that, okay, maybe we should change the name. <laughs> right. uh, and, you know, many universities as well, um, you know, let's just, let's just be frank, they're founded by and for straight white male landowners. Right. Yeah. And, and, and these landowners often had enslaved people as well. And these, and these people were there. Uh, work in the grounds to to build what is now what are now universities and and a lot of these schools uh, have gone out there throughout their whole history almost never acknowledging their their racist past like um like uh you know like georgetown for example uh mm-hmm. in, in 2017 um uh, they came with an article like sort of repenting for, for uh, uh, repenting for something they did they georgetown university um, at, at the founding of the school, uh, had had owned slave uh, enslaved people and and used them to to build to to build infrastructure on the campus, and then they so then they sold off these human beings to pay mm-hmm. off these debts. And it wasn't until recently that they acknowledge this and track down the, the descendants of these people and give them free room room and board. But this oh, thing about like I didn't know oh, about that. That's cool. I guess yeah. And you know, just think about all that time of like, you know, all that wealth you know that could have been built over this year is gone all all, all of all of that uh education that could have been passed on gone and, and so like th- th- there's th- there's that this is what creates this intergenerational inequality that we that we live with every single day right. and and you know while while yes scientists is trying to do better and we should always try to do better 
um, it's it, we have to also, as you say, acknowledge um, acknowledge the past as well. Yeah, you also just said something that I've started kind of thinking. So you just mentioned education, and then a moment after that, you mentioned generational inequalities. And something I've been thinking about lately is, and this is probably more anecdotal than anything else, but uh, generational information. So we've uh. lost, systematically lost information, right? Like I said, mm-hmm. like um, you had slaves helping Charles Darwin um, collect samples and not just Charles Darwin, but other um, natural scientists and natural philosophers of the day. So I think about it sometimes in terms of generational information. Um, if you aren't, so if you are, say, a slave and you can't read and things like that, then of course you're not going to be able to know like what else is going on in the world at the time so the world is the world to you is what's going on in that plantation essentially um and over time yeah like sure slavery ended but then jim crow happened and so we were systematically kept out of universities so then even so if you think about it in terms of that like yeah there are the hbcus but some of the major scientific discoveries of the day were of course happening at the more wealthier universities so you have people discovering like things like quantum physics and learning about genetics and things like that at those universities, which were systematically excluding different underrepresented communities. So they're being kept away from that information. Mm -hmm. And then as we were kind of talking about earlier, like you have this other system that's saying, well, like education is very much tied to where you live, um, especially in terms of like public schools where that's tied to redlining. So because schools are funded through things like property taxes and stuff like that. Hmm. So if that's going on and people are taught to that and then schools are being um, underfunded, then people are systematically being kept away from certain information, um, yep. especially scientific information, which can be super technical and hard and, and dense. So then you keep those people away and then you let them in, but it's like it's not being disseminated enough because we still have to tear down those barriers. So even schools aren't allowed to discriminate based on race anymore it's well, still like those effects are still being felt so that information that even and maybe that's my bias as someone who has a college degree so yeah i mean i know about um these different scientific studies that happened in the past and i know the little the specific details about it but when one for so like going back to the tuskegee experiments it's like well yeah i know that there was a control group that didn't have syphilis in the control group, control, control group, or not a control group, but a group that did have syphilis who were not given um, treatment, basically. But one piece of information that I know I've heard since a kid is that they were given syphilis. Like there was a lot of them were just given syphilis instead of it. <laughs> so, and that's, but that's very much grain in the culture is that like, oh no, they were given, not they already had. And, even trying to, I, and I've had arguments with people about like, hey, like that's, they weren't given, they already had it. And even to say this, like, no, they definitely were given it. It's like, no, they, they, but they weren't like, yeah, you're right that it had, that that event happened, but that's, you don't have the specific rights. And that's also hard to argue with someone about like, what are the specifics of it? Because it's like, well, they, they've already heard what they wanted to hear from it. And it's hard to then replace that information with new information because that's just how conspiracy theories work and it's yeah. it's very tough to yeah. do that stuff it's it's very it's frustratingly tough <laughs> so you know you, you touched on a lot of things and especially when it comes to you know information you know information is, is currency information is how you know which right. programs to apply for 
is where where the money's at, where where the people who have influence, where they are. Information is what you know immigrants who come to this country look for to help establish a life, right? Like mm-hmm. my when immigrants first come, when pe- when people come through to the U.S. for a better life, they they come through because they and the first person they meet is somebody they know or a family yeah. member or or a relative or 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 a friend who can who can give them information on where to get a job, where to get housing, where to, you know, apply for support. Uh, and m- much of this, uh, and a lot of this information, you know, also p- people of in sort of lower socioeconomic status also need this information too. Where's the after school program? Where, where can I get a babysitter? You know, mm-hmm. where, 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 where's a job? Where, where, where can I put my kids while I work? Where, where, where do I get, where do I find the papers to get my kids in the school? Where do I get the papers to get a license? All these, all these important um, uh, societal uh, documents that you need, uh, you need information in order to get it. But uh, then when you finally make it to, to, you know, a normal place uh, where you're making a normal person's amount of money uh, and you came from a sort of a, a disadvantaged background, and and you uh, and other people signal you out for not knowing basic information they right. start to isolate you even more because uh you know you're the only person in the room who maybe is unfamiliar with a certain scientific term uh because you didn't have access to that information the only person in the room who doesn't know what an R1 grant is well bro mm-hmm. you know I just got here you're the only person right, yeah. who doesn't know how to use a pipette because you know you never touched one before and mm-hmm. so it, it, it and then and then this is uh and then once you're in this space and it makes you feel even more isolated. And so I think, Mm -hmm. I think access to information is how we sort of penetrate these communities, right? We let them know, we let them know that this is a vaccine. This is what viruses do. This is, and this is, and this is how it's going to help. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's the challenge, I guess. Right. Yeah. No, I think you hit the own head. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard. Like even one, and I, I think I'm kind of written in some places. So I'm going to try to control myself, but no, it's all, it's um, all. We can say whatever you want here. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, one that I remember uh, trying to engage with someone who was kind of trying to, not intentionally, but they were spreading some misinformation about COVID. It was like COVID's oh, being caused. I love by, these people. Yeah, I they were like, I love and them. I used to, I, I boxed back in the Philly. So I like, so, and this was a person who was at the boxing gym. And I'm like, okay, but like, and I'm seeing something they post on Facebook and I'm like, um, they said something along the lines of COVID is caused by damage of um, cells due to radiation. And like, <laughs> basically I had to go and say, well, radiation that's not how it works. You're probably more talking about cancer than a virus, no, to be it was, honest. It was the Democrats. The Democrats uh, are radio- <laughs> radioactive. Right. And so, But even that, it's just like, you know, like that's that's very tough because I, cause yeah. I do feel for people like that. It's like, I because I, cause, you know, I've talked to people who have some of these ideas. I'm like, I, there are moments where I really respect those people. Like the, you have a really good idea about something else, but this one thing is like the thing I'm trying to explain is not, it's not, uh, I'm looking for the word. It doesn't connect with how scientists, scientists has, have explained reality using objectivity and facts. 
So I'm trying to explain this to people and people are like, oh, well, no, I've read the internet. Like, I've seen yeah, the I mean, things. You know, so somebody who's that far gone, you explaining them in logic and facts is just not going to work. You know, you got to. No, you gotta, I mean, I do. Yeah, I mean, that is tough. But I, yeah. I but I feel the need to sometimes maybe ask because I know like as a black scientist, like, like I know those people who are in the black community who do those things. And I'm like, all right, well, mm-hmm. if I don't at least try, then like, I feel like I'm not doing my duty as someone who has gone off to those universities and come back to try to like up, uplift the community in a way. So that's, well, that's, that's a personal responsibility that, I, that I've taken onto myself. And maybe it's not fair to myself or even that person. I don't know. You know, sometimes it just gets so exhausting though. You it know? does get like, exhausting. Ugh, like just explaining to these people basic stuff and they're like, I don't believe you. I spent five years working on this paper to publish it. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. And someone is on Twitter is like, well, that's BS. Right. And, and it's, it's, it just gets so exhausting to just go, mm like just to be gaslighted by these people and yeah. I, i'm at a point where i'm like yo i mean open a book bro because i can't because I, I can't be sitting here 20 minutes to explain basic stuff to you like i'm losing my patience with it man I, <laughs> to be honest no i understand like honestly that is one of the honestly a covid yeah covid happened but like that is watching the conspiracy theories float, float around it has been one of the most exhausting things I of mean, 2020. Let, let's get into it. Misinformation, COVID misinformation. We spoke about building trust, but now let's talk about right. b- battling misinformation. Battling like, misinformation. Yes. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Because like, yo, because I, I I knew there was going to be, we, we all knew there's going to be misinformation. About yeah. It, yeah. But like I think I have a bit of a different experience because like when I, when I opened this testing lab, we were doing um, uh, my friends and colleagues were doing testing like on the front lines, like they were going out there right. getting samples and then bringing it back to the lab. And so what was really important is that we were testing uh, 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 marginalized communities and communities of color, right? Communities that um, uh, communities that uh, otherwise uh, are, are, are hotspots, right? The hotspots have a tendency to be communities of colors and impoverished communities. And, right. and, and so we went to these communities to to test them. And so, you know, as soon as you get there, it's like they don't even want to be tested because mm-hmm. they don't know they don't know who you are. They don't know what a scientist is. They don't know why, you, why you're trying to get their sample, the papers they're signing, uh, what are there's three pages of documents you have to sign just to like, you know, spit in a jar to to get your sample yeah. collected. Sometimes they don't know English or sometimes they're undocumented or sometimes they uh, uh, there's inf- info they don't know. How do I get my results uh, and all the, and all, all of these barriers just to get tested for this virus? And right. oftentimes I realize like um, w- once uh, uh, m- m- these communities often don't have like scientists that are born and raised in these communities and come back and help. Right. So Mm -hmm. they don't have one of their own to explain what this is about and what these documents are for. And so there's no natural bond there. There's no natural trust between uh, family, friends and family who 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 um, who know an actual scientist or or people who don't speak English. So one of the ways you had to battle this misinformation was, again, being on the front lines and letting people ask you Mm -hmm. questions and answering questions about COVID and about vaccines and about um, these documents all, all while getting tested as opposed to, you know, listening to popular media and whatnot. So, you know, uh, what, what would you say is your approach for, for battling this, this misinformation on a macro scale? You know, that's because this virus is going to, this vaccine is going to go out on a macro scale and it's going to be a battle of 
publicity and public image to build trust in this vaccine before it's released. So on a macro scale, what would you say is, is, the, is the best strategy for, for creating public trust and battling misinformation in anticipation of delivering the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, man, I think so. I, I'll speak to what I imagine is going to happen for us at B side first, and then I'll try to mm. get into the macro. One one thing that I we started off um, before we even started the podcast. One thing we did was we created for ourselves a credibility and standards guidelines that we've made available on our website, and basically it just outlines how we get our information some of the things we do and how we make sure that we source our information and make sure that information information can be found pretty easily. Um, even with our podcast, we've made a little sound yeah, that I comes that. in there. Yeah. <laughs> just to make sure that if you hear that noise, then you know, we did the research and we try to also just be like, Hey, we didn't really research this. So we try to be that trans. So transparency is what hmm. that, that first step. Honesty. Right? Yeah. Speaking honesty. Being honest. And making sure that people can learn at the same time, because I think once people learn, that does start to like knock down some of those barriers between that information. And then two is maybe one thing that was kind of an accident, but I'm glad happened for B-Size that we have two board members who are in the field of public health, who are science communicators. Chad and Chanel are both public health scientists. And it's like, oh, man, I'm glad that happened because they're going to know way more about how to battle that than me. Like Chanel is super charismatic. So I'm hoping that she, when B, so when that vaccine comes out, we, cause like I am anticipating that there's going to be, have to, there's going to have to be a huge effort to make sure that black and under, underrepresented communities can, are dead. They can learn this information effectively because if not this vaccine and battling COVID is going to be get very tough if we can't do that effectively. Mm-hmm. So I think being that vulnerable, it's going to have to be really crucial too. And like, Hey, you know, I'm part of this community. I, I'm like, I'm from Philly outside of Brooklyn. Like Philly is like probably the second most concentrated um, mm-hmm. place for black people on the East coast. Philly had Philly's population is like, I think, I think the black population in Philly is actually larger than the white population. I think it's like 46% mm. or something like that. Mm. So I'm really, I am concerned about that for Philly. And I'm like, well, we, we got to get that information out there then. And mm. while I'm in Georgia, I'm hoping that we can figure out a, a strategy that can help um, back there and down here in Georgia that can at least, and if it's just so, through social media, then that's fine. Just making sure we can create some graphics that people are oh, okay yeah i understand the information better now i see why they're doing it. it so on that level on the macro level i think it is i think um without getting too political because you know but um I, I think it's good that we are going to get into an administration that trusts scientists and mm-hmm. we're going to try to put those scientists on the front line to explain that information and i hope those scientists are also as transparent as i hope as you know even b-side hopes to be and just put that information in all those places and make sure it comes with those different links to websites. Cause if that's one thing that has definitely allowed Mr. Information to spread is our phones and our reliance on social media. We need to be able to show we can penetrate that system and go, Hey, like here's a mis- here's something that's false. Here's what's real. And I think Facebook has started doing, I know Twitter for sure has started doing that. So doing stuff like that is going to be helpful and like, on we just got i think transparency is probably going to be the key here and just making sure that we can 
we got to speak to the more we got to speak to people who don't believe in science on their level to bring them up to our level i guess yeah i mean honesty and transparency is what is what it boils down to right because yeah. like you know uh, that that's what people have been looking for these past few years is just a little mm. honesty and transparency because it's, right. it is such a relief that like yeah we have finally have an administration that trusts science you know I, I had like a big uh, like breath of relief like as soon oh as yeah the, <laughs> the elections are over I was like oh yeah God, I'm glad that's over but you know there's there's still it's we've been set back so much throughout this entire pandemic on 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 trusting science i mean trusting science has never really been like in question at in such a public way until now yeah right? that's it yeah it's been really tough to watch like even i mean like even with climate change right i mean it's been like bill nye on cnn or fox arguing with somebody else but that was like okay like that's that's there and that's we can just leave it there but now to have like elected officials doing it it's like oh man and then even undermining the agencies that are like designed to kind of like go look for it yeah Yeah. it's like ooh, like we're it's it was it's yeah yeah a sigh of relief is the best possible way you could describe it without really getting into it well it's more like the feeling i had where after my thanksgiving dinner i unbuckled my belt (laughs) oh (laughs) no that makes sense (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. Uh, the professionals have become synonymous with deep state, and it's just been like yes, uh, yeah. throwing all the credibility on the bus, which isn't right. And so, yeah, so, yeah. And, and since we're on the topic of politics, maybe we can transition into uh, the runoffs that are that are currently going on in Georgia. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The runoffs um, for the Senate are super important. I hope um, we see the same voter turnout in Georgia that we saw in the general elections because um, I think that would definitely help get things done. Again, I don't want to get too political, but I would like to see more voter turnout, especially from the black community. If we could deliver the way we did, I would like to see that again um, here in Georgia. So, you know, the presidential election had Joe Biden winning by like a very narrow margin in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, but on on the ground, because you're there on the ground, you see what's yeah. going on. Like, is is the energy there? Is it lively? Is are people active and moving? Are there are there yard signs of of support? Oh yeah, there are definitely yeah. I see. I've seen um, yard signs. I even um, recently I was out and I know someone walked up to me to ask if I was registered to vote. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm technically not registered. I'm not. I'm not registered to vote in Georgia. I'm registered to vote in Pennsylvania because I um, still claim residency in philadelphia basically especially because of the association of with Mm visi and being headquartered in um, philly so i think um making sure that that lines up and making sure we could affect policy there first in some ways but yeah like the ground movement here i know um i've seen people definitely trying to make sure people get out to vote i know i think georgia and don't quote me on this please don't but Mm -hmm. i think georgia might immediately send out I don't actually, you know what? I'm, I'm, I don't think it's true because I think I was going to say I think they send out absentee absentee ballots. Okay, um, yeah, I'm not sure about automatically, that. but I don't yeah. think they do for the general for the um for the. I don't think they're going to do it for the runoff. I'm not yeah. sure, so don't quote yeah. me on that. But yeah. I mean, but I think th- there is a good amount of energy here. I think Stacey Abrams uh, oh, is amazing, Abrams. and I think she could definitely. We don't deserve again. her. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's great. I hope she uh, again not to get political, but I would like to see her political career continue to blossom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she should she should have won that race for governor. She really mm. should have. Yeah. So you know, we have uh, we have we have uh, Raphael Warnock, Kelly Loeffler, uh, David Perdue, and John Ossoff, right? So we have uh, Raf- Raphael Warnock, who's a pastor. Kelly Loeffler, she was appointed by the governor after the mm-hmm. previous guy retired. David Perdue, who's who's like a lifelong Republican in the Senate, uh, and John Ossoff, who has his Master of Science, but basically is a journalist. And, you know, you have these four guys uh, and girls. And so, you know, uh, it, 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 the energy for the presidential election is one thing, but the energy for a Senate race is another, you know. Right. Can, can, can we see that same kind of energy for the Senate race? And uh, do, do you notice that same kind of energy going on? Because the entire... You know Biden's entire administration hinges on Georgia's election. Georgia's it does, election. yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I mean, I do think I have seen that. I have seen a lot of energy. I'm really, really hoping. Like, I, I mean, I live in a pretty liberal part of Georgia. I'm in Athens because that's where UGA is, mm-hmm. and Athens, Athens tends to be liberal. But if we see, so I think the voter turnout in the Atlanta area will be very crucial to making sure that it leans that way but and i think it could i think i do think that energy is still there i think i, I know people are tired in the rest of the country because it's uh, it's very tiring to have to to see like that have like it was tiring to see that whole week and i'm sure people are still very tired and will be tired in january but i do think that energy can translate again and that's i think yeah yeah all right yeah i mean we'll we'll see what happens i mean definitely like uh uh, I'm kind of on this podcast, like I'm not uh, on a 501c3 anything, so I can say whatever I want, Democrat or yeah, Republican, which which is kind of nice. Um, I, I'm yeah. I, I stay hesitant because I'm like, well, I'm the president of for this, so I'm like, okay, like I, as a private citizen, I want to be like, oh yeah, go blue, but like at the yeah. same time, I'm like, oh, so that's just me, but yeah, of course, of course. Uh, so you know, with that, um, I mean, we did we covered a lot, man. It was pretty, it was a pretty chill, uh, pretty chill episode, I think. Um, yeah, I hope I made sense for your listeners. Honestly, I mean, it's it's all it's it's all good. I, I think you did. You definitely did, and I appreciate it a lot. Uh, your your perspective is very valuable. Uh, how do people get in touch with you on Twitter or Instagram? Uh, feel free to give a plug for whatever you're working on, or or any ways people can follow you. Yeah, uh, so you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Instagram at jchap no caps. So J Chap and no, literally is the word no caps. Just that's then that's the whole thing. Um, then you could I would really appreciate if people follow B Psy on Instagram and Twitter too. Um, and that's the B Psy. That's all one word, the B Psy. Um, and yeah, we really appreciate. And then also visit our website at bsci.org. That's b dash sci.org. And if you, you know, feeling a little, you know, um generous you could send us a donation on the website too so we really appreciate it it all goes toward um helping make sure we can do science communication and hopefully one day really get into making sure that we could help change the world in different ways and we always encourage people to be scientists so that's what we do on our podcast so we encourage everyone to be scientists on our podcast and we will and i will do that anywhere so really and i really appreciate just being here in the first place there you go follow b-side everybody uh and you know jordan i i thank you a lot for being on this podcast and um it's a good time yeah i mean it, it was such a, a delightful conversation so be sure to come back sometime i'll be more than happy 
Yeah, for, you got to come on our podcast too. That's what we, we got to figure out the different. I'm, uh, I'm ready. <laughs> That'll yeah. be the first time I'm on someone else's podcast. Actually. Oh, dope. All right, Jordan. Thanks a lot, dude. Appreciate thanks, it. man. All right, Appreciate enjoy it. the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Deep Thoughts, Science and Social Justice. I really enjoy doing this podcast. If you can, give it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your colleagues. If you have any cool and interesting ideas for a future episode, be sure to let me know on the Instagram, Deep Thoughts Podcast. That's deep underscore thoughts underscore podcast on Instagram. Or you can shoot me an email at deepthoughtsinterview at gmail.com. If you want to be on a future episode, you have a cool or interesting or unique story want to be put out there i'd be happy to have you on let's look forward to a beautiful 2021 i know 2020 was rough but there's nothing but bright skies ahead thank you for listening and we'll see you next time